Welcome to another powerful message recorded live at Christ Encounter Ministries in Longobon. We trust that you'll be truly encouraged and blessed by this message. Welcome family to another message by Christ Encounter Ministries. My name is Pastor Carl and it is a real privilege and a sincere honor and a great responsibility that I have in preaching to you today. So I want to thank you for giving this ministry the time, either watching this on YouTube, listening on CastBox or any other recording. And I just want to thank you. And let's just pray before we start. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just want to thank you for this wonderful opportunity and great responsibility that I have in preaching your word to your children. I make it known, Father God, that this is your word and not my own. I cannot take any credit for anything done or accomplished. I know where I was when I met you. I was nothing and I am nothing without you. So Spirit of the living God, magnify yourself as I become less and you become more. And according to Matthew 10 verse 20, I pray that you will speak in and through me your words in Jesus' name. So family, as we start, declare after me. Say this. So I declare that my heart is receptive and my spiritual ears are open to receive only that which you, Holy Spirit, are saying to me today. Do you believe it? Amen. So let's get started. So we're preaching a series, A Moment in Time, and we are in part two of this very, very powerful series. And if you haven't heard part one, I really encourage you to listen to it, to listen to it intently. There's a lot of critical information in there, specifically about these last days that we are in. And so we are studying the last days, the, uh, the, the times and the events of the last days, and we are looking at what is happening in the world around us today. And we are comparing them to scriptures and we are looking at some of the uh, signs of the last days in the scriptures and we are trying to see if in fact we are in the last days or not. Now I'm sure that you can agree that this world has been changing with an incredible pace and it is as though that we are heading towards some climactic event and many of us perceive and know in our hearts that we are in what is called the end days. Even non-believers in the secular world also believe this. And there was something called a doomsday clock that was established in 1947. Now this doomsday clock was set up by a panel of very reputable scientists. Even Albert Einstein was one of these scientists that set up this clock. Now, how this clock works is they say that midnight is the end of the world. And every year in January, these scientists look at past events and then they analyze the timeline and then they will set the clock with the hour and the minutes to how many minutes or hours before midnight, before the end of the world. Now, fascinatingly enough, this year, January 2020, just a couple months ago, these top scientists have set this clock 
to the end of the world, according to the secular world, at a hundred seconds before midnight. This is the closest time before midnight this clock has ever been set. Now, the choice of the term midnight is quite profound because many times in Scripture, midnight represents a very powerful climactic event. We look in Scriptures in Acts 16 verse 25 where Paul and Silas were imprisoned in the dungeons and they were in stocks and they were praising and worshipping God and at the midnight hour, at the last hour, then their deliverance came. We also look in Exodus 12 verse 29 and it was in the midnight hour that the destroyer angel went through Egypt and killed the firstborn of every Egyptian family, as well as the firstborn of all the cattle and livestock. We also look in Matthew 25, verse 6, where Jesus, referred to as the bridegroom, comes on midnight to receive his bride. So there is such a strong correlation between this midnight on the doomsday clock as well as scripture. Now family, this subject that we're studying now, the end times and particularly the various signs, it is a very mysterious and it is a very complex subject. Now many people can get really sucked into the subject and can get drawn into it and it can become confusing and even consuming. And we see a lot of people who spend a lot of time studying all the end time signs and the mark of the beast and get swept up in a lot of conspiracy theories, but they miss the more important things about the gospel. And that is not how much you know about the end times, but are you ready for the end times? You see, child of God, although we need to know these things, we're just going to skim over it. We're going to go over the important things and we need to focus on what is important, and that is growing in the kingdom of God, that is representing Jesus, and that is being relevant in the kingdom of God. As I said to you, Jesus is not going to care how much you know about the end times when he comes. All that is going to matter is, are you ready for them? Now, to lay a solid platform, a foundation, we're going to follow, we can call it events trail. And to just outline these, uh, these specific events, we obviously we're going to back it all up with Scripture because at this point you need to hear me loud and clear that my opinion means nothing, that tradition means nothing. Other people's opinions, our theologies, and even our beliefs, listen to me, means absolutely nothing. So as believers, when we look at the God-breathed Word of God, and if it doesn't line up with our theologies or what we've been told or what we've been taught, then all of that must go out the window and we must follow and believe what the word of God says. So the events trail follows worldwide events and these worldwide events will increase in intensity. These worldwide events are, are troubles and problems and, and signs that will just uh, cause calamity in the world. And these end times signs are known as the birth pains. 
Now, these birth pains, as in any birth, results in a birth. And that birth will be the beginning of the tribulation. Now, the tribulation is a seven-year period where the wrath of God that has been held back will finally be released upon the earth to judge this wicked earth. But before all of this happening, just before the tribulation starts, we have what is called the first coming of Christ. Now, at this first coming of Christ, the world will not see Jesus coming. They will not know of Jesus, but what will happen is Jesus will come into the atmosphere, into the clouds, and there he will meet with his children, who he will rescue and he will take to heaven. Now, I know that is a controversial subject, but I will back this up entirely with scripture. Then we have this seven-year period of great tribulation. Incredible problems that will uh, happen on this earth. And in this time, we have the rise or the establishment of the Antichrist. The Antichrist is a man who will be possessed by the Antichrist spirit. He will be backed up by what is called a false prophet. Prophet indicating this false prophet is involved in a particular religion. And then after the seven-year period, we have another climactic event, which is the second coming of Jesus. Now, at the second coming of Jesus, Jesus will return at a very uh, significant moment in time when this Antichrist has armies assembled and surrounding Israel, Israel, the Holy Land. And at this point, as they are about to destroy Israel, Jesus will come and he will come on a white horse. And at that point, all the saints, all of those who um, Jesus rescued prior to the rapture will follow Jesus and will come down with him to this earth. And this is the end of the age. And this would be the beginning of the millennial age and rule of Christ. Now, we are not going to go, there's, there's so much beyond this point where Jesus establishes his kingdom. But for now, we are going to be looking at the birth pains. We're going to be looking at the um, the catching away known as the rapture. And yes, I know that word is not in the Bible, but neither is Trinity. It's a word to just describe the catching away. But we will get to that in great detail and we will study the seven year tribulation and then the coming of Christ when all every hour will see Jesus coming. Now, before I go down this road, I need to make it equivocally or completely clear that as a child of God, as the bride, you have nothing to fear. Scripture says this in John 16, verse 33, Jesus speaking, he says, in me, you will have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. So what Jesus is saying is that whatever this world throws at you, 
Whatever problem comes your way, whatever challenge comes your way, as long as you remain in Him, you can rejoice, you can be cheerful, because every problem you face, Jesus has already overcome it. He has already provided a way out. He already has a solution. And we just need to receive that by faith. Besides, did Jesus not say in Matthew 6 verse 34, Do not worry about tomorrow? So, child of God, we will share in the coming teachings of the rescue plans that God has for us, which is very, very exciting. Now, the tribulation will be an absolutely horrific time. There's there's no doubt about that. Um, This is a moment in mankind where the events and the wrath of God that is going to be poured out upon this world is just, it's just, uh, it's just phenomenal. Now, many people say that we are in the tribulation now. Many preachers even preach that. They say that we are in the tribulation now, which is not true because Matthew 24, verse 31, Jesus makes this statement. He says that when the tribulation comes, that moment in time will be so catastrophic and horrific and intense that all history in the past and even everything up until the moment of tribulation will pale in comparison with tribulation. We'll read that scripture now in Matthew 24 verse 21. For there will be a great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world, up until this time, no, nor shall ever be. So the, the Holocaust, the World War I, the World War II, the uh, bubonic plague that killed 200 million people, um, the Spanish flu that killed 150 million people. At the tribulation, none of everything that has happened in history, all of the wars, all of these massive catastrophic events, Hiroshima, all of this, it will pale in comparison to the tribulation. So scripture says in Matthew 24 verse 8 that we will go through birth pains and there will be more to come. So as we are going towards this tribulation, as children of God, we will go through a lot of troubles. We will pass through challenges. There is no doubt about that. But as children of God, we are above those challenges. And God has actually designed for the church, the true church of Christ, in this time of great darkness, to shine bright as lights. But I'll share more about that in coming uh, teachings. So we are going to delve now into these signs and we are going to see what are these signs What are these signs? Just like if you're traveling somewhere on a long, dusty road and you see a sign that says, you know, 10 miles to this destination and then you know and you're aware of it. So Jesus has put signs for us to see that we can look at it just like you'd be driving down a road and, and see that sign that we'd see this sign and it would clearly tell us that we are in fact in the end times. Now, the first sign that I want to talk about as in 2 Peter 3 verse 3, it says this, the day of the Lord. Well, before I say that, the title of this scripture is known as the coming, the coming of the Lord. 
So 2 Peter 3 verse 3 says this. He writes this. Above all. Okay. Now this is important. Okay. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers. What is a scoffer? A mocker. Mockers will come. Scoffing and mocking and following their own evil desires. They will say this. Where is this coming? So now, if you are maybe watching this message and you are thinking, what is this coming of Christ and all of these things that this pastor is speaking about and thinking it's nonsense, you are nothing more than a sign of the end times. And we can all relate to people that have that opinion, that if anybody preaches about this subject or talks about this subject, it's nonsense. Well, one day they will have to believe because Jesus is in fact coming and this is nothing more than a sign to prove that it is in fact true. Now in the epistle of Matthew, Jesus had spoken about a few very catastrophic events and afterwards his disciples were moved by these uh, events and they went and they asked him some uh, some questions and the Bible says they spoke to him privately so that he would disclose to them privately and in Matthew 24 verse 3 they said this they said Lord tell us when will these things be now these were these catastrophic events that Jesus was talking about and they say and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age so now Jesus is going to disclose privately to his disciples, what are the signs of his coming and of the end of the age? So, we will start in Matthew 24 verse 4. And we're going to look at this from a different perspective. Many of us might have heard these signs and might have a certain impression about them. But we're going to dig in a little bit deep and perhaps reveal some things to you that will indicate that maybe our perception of these signs are not exactly what we thought they were. So Jesus responds and he says this to them. He says, take heed, no one deceives you. Now, immediately when Jesus starts that sentence with take heed, in the original Greek, it is such a strong emphasis on what he was saying. It would be as though we start a conversation with saying, beware. Now, if we were talking and I had to say to you, beware and speak about something, that immediately will take your attention and you would focus on this because there's a strong emphasis on this subject. So in the same way, Jesus is saying, listen, be very cautious, be very aware, beware, because there is going to be a great deception. Now, this deception means believing a lie. It also says in the Greek, when you look at it, it says a straying from the truth or moving away from the truth and being seduced from the truth and believing in a lie. So Jesus' first statement, he said, beware because there's going to be a deception where there's going to be a seduction that is going to take people away from the truth. Verse 5, Jesus elaborates this deception. Listen to this. 
For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. So Jesus is actually saying that this deception, this great falling away from the truth, get this, will be in churches and will be promoted by those who come in his name. Now, first we look at the word many. That word many in the original translation means largely. It means mostly. So there's not just going to be a small deception here and there. There's going to be a worldwide deception in the church with those coming in the name of Jesus Christ. This is specifically highlighting preachers who disguise themselves as coming in the name of Jesus Christ, but are in fact masters of deception. Now get this. The scripture continues to say, saying, I am the Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first heard that scripture, I thought, well, this must refer to people who say that they are Jesus Christ, right? And I'm sure many of you have thought that as well. But it doesn't say, I am Jesus Christ. The scripture says that they are saying, I am Christ. Christ, in the original Greek, that word is Christos. That refers to anointing. So it's not many people will come, because I've always been wondering where are the, the Jesus Christ, but there are those and there will be those. But in this particular phase or this particular scripture, Jesus is saying that there are many preachers that will come in his name saying that I am anointed. Because that word Christ, Christos, actually means anointed. There will be many preachers, prophets, teachers that are declaring that they are anointed, that they carry the mandate in the name of Jesus and they are anointed by the Spirit of Christ and in fact they are only deceiving many. Again, that word many is the Greek word polis. That doesn't talk about a handful of people. That word polis talks about a mass deception of the churches. Now, we are going to look at this deception a little bit more clearly. There's a more of a descriptive uh, outline in 1 Timothy 4 verse 11. And there's many, but we haven't got really a lot of time to get into it. So we're just going to touch on one or two. It says this. New Living Translation. Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. Wow. Okay, so at this point, I am very concerned, and so should you be. Because it says in this scripture that in the last days, that many will turn from the true faith. So this indicates that they were in the true faith, and they were deceived by seducting spirits, and that they turned from the true faith by doctrines of demons. Now, a doctrine refers to a foundational teaching, a foundational biblical teaching. 
So a seductive new doctrine, a new foundational teaching that will, you've got to listen to this, that will emerge in the last days that will deceive many coming from preachers that are influenced by demons at a mass scale in the church. Now, before we look at this deception, let's establish our anchor of true faith, the foundational building block. What is the true faith? What is the firm doctrine? Because if many are going to be deceived, and I have been deceived before, I was lost and I was found, and I believed many, many, many lies. And it is one of my greatest godly fears is to be deceived. So family, let's look at the foundation. Let's look at the doctrine. Let's look at the true faith. And if we're going to look at the true faith, we look at the truth. And the truth is Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said in John 14 verse 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. Now remember this statement. No one comes to the Father unless through me. So unless through the truth, no one will come to the Father. So what is the truth foundational doctrine? The very first message preached by Jesus Christ, the truth, Matthew 4 verse 17, get this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And if we have any con uh, doubts about that, we look at Luke 13 verse 3. In the words of Jesus Christ, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you too will perish. And in case we didn't get that clear enough, he says again in verse 5, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish. So family... It is very clear. It is very clear that the basis and the foundational doctrine of Jesus Christ, who is the word, is repentance. And it's not just Jesus. It's right through the Bible. Even the first teaching by Peter from Pentecost, it was repentance. And right through the Bible, it is repentance. Now, we're going to look at repentance. We're going to look, what does that word mean? mean the word repentance in the greek word is metan ohion which means to turn from your sin it means to change your mind about your sin and now this i took directly out of the strongs this is exactly what it means listen to this repentance means <laughs> repentance means to morally feel Compunction. So I thought, compunction, what does that word mean? And you're probably thinking the same. So I looked at the definition of compunction. Now, this is repentance. It's defined as feeling of guilt, of moral scruple that prevents you from doing something bad and is the feelings of remorse that you feel after you have done something bad. So repentance is this. It is a lifestyle of turning away from sin, of changing your mind about sin and knowing that it is wrong, 
and through feelings of godly guilt preventing you from sinning or causing you to repent. It's so important that we understand what this repentance means and it'll all come together right now. Family, 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10 says this. Listen to this carefully. Godly sorrow brings repentance, which leads to salvation. So we have to have a form of godly sorrow for our sins that will lead us to repentance that will lead us to salvation. Now, the interesting thing is Paul was not speaking to sinners or non-believers. He was speaking to sinners, but he was talking to the church of Corinth. This is 2 Corinthians. The church had been established for a long time. They were all functioning in the gifts. They were a powerful church, but still at this point, they had to repent and they were living a life of repentance. It is so critical. Now, if we understand that this is a foundation, a doctrine of demons, listen to this, would want to prevent you from repenting. And a doctrine of demons will tell you it's okay to sin. A doctrine of demons, listen to me, will tell you that as a Christian, and if you're born again, you're saved. That there's nothing that you can do that's going to take that away and you are going straight to heaven. A doctrine of demons says that when you sin, don't worry. Don't worry about those feelings of guilt, which is actually repentance designed to bring you to repentance. But they say, listen, there's no condemnation in Christ, so don't even worry about those feelings. When you sin, don't even worry about it. When you feel that repentance, when you feel that godly sorrow, ignore it because there's no condemnation in Christ, which is an absolute lie. Can you see that, family? And now when this, this, when this deception takes hold and the people uh, fall into this doctrine and they, they, they start to, to, to sin and then they carry on sinning and they think that it's okay to sin, they start to fall from the true faith because without repentance, there is no salvation. And then they get to a point, they get to a moment in time. Now, listen to me. They carry on sinning. They carry on thinking sin's okay. And they get to a moment in time and that moment passes and there's no turning back. They have lost their salvation. They are on a one way ticket to hell. There is this nonsense that, they are, that is being preached that says that you can't lose your salvation. It's a lie. It's a lie from the pits in hell. Hebrews 10 verse 27. If we, this is Paul speaking about himself, talking to the church. If we deliberately go on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth. No further sacrifice for sin remains, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. He carries on to say, how much more severely do you think 
One deserves to be punished. Who has trampled on the Son of God? Who has profaned the blood of the covenant that sanctified him? And who has insulted the Spirit of grace? This hyper-grace teaching is from the pit of hell, family. It's from the pit of hell. That scripture says that, that they are received the knowledge of truth. What is that? They receive the knowledge of truth. That is a born-again, spirit-filled Christian. And then as a born-again, spirit-filled Christian continues to deliberately sin, that means no repentance. Deliberately carrying on, no need to worry, no need to... to, to and, and listen to me. A doctrine of demons works like this. The more you sin, the more control the demons have over you. The more demons influence you. You need to turn away from this doctrine, family. And the scripture says that it insults the spirit of grace. So continuing to sin is not a grace doctrine. Continuing to sin is trampling on the blood of Jesus that was shed to prevent you from sinning. To save you from your sins. The sacrifice of Jesus to save you from your sins. Not so that you could carry on sinning. Now family, you have to understand that this doctrine of demons, everything that I've mentioned here, there is half-truths in it. There is, there is half-truths in it. There, but because it's a doctrine, it's a scriptural doctrine, it is a foundational doctrine that has been twisted. You see, the thing is, there is a half-truth. There is the fact that if you are a child of God, if you are living in Christ, and if you're repenting of your sin, then He consistently forgives you of your sin. And as a child of God, living a holy life in Christ, there is no condemnation for you. Amen? So family, I want to just say something here quickly. Just, I want you to think about this. Jesus said in the last days, there's going to be a doctrine of demons. The last days, a doctrine is going to, be, is going to emerge. Now, the Bible is thousands of years old, thousands of years old. And for these thousands of years, there has been this doctrine that God has been teaching his prophets and teaching good men and women of God. And they have taught from the beginning of, this, of the scriptures up until now for thousands of years that sin is wrong and it's not okay to sin. Can we not see that now within this last decade, this last 10 years or, or less, where this strange doctrine has just come out of nowhere and is saying that the thousands of years of preaching is wrong and this new doctrine is right. Can we not see that this is a doctrine from demons in the last ages? Now we're going to continue with the signs in Matthew 24 verse 6. Jesus says this, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Now the first category is wars and rumors of wars. And we know that there's been wars. Even at this time when Jesus was preaching this, there were many wars at that time. But he was saying that there's going to be a time of great war and rumors of wars. 
Now, every hundred years we have a century. So when Jesus was preaching this, this was the first century. When I researched the, uh, the wars and the history of wars, they said that the 20th century, from the early 1900s, and I quote this from my, uh, the, the research, it says, is the most murderous century in recorded history with over 187 million people killed. So we can see wars and rumors of wars are prevalent. I researched that there are actually 130 countries, 130 sovereign countries who are currently at war. And the world has been declared in a state of global war ever since World War I, and that hasn't changed. Another, the next sign, Jesus said this, he says, nation will rise against nation. Now that word nation in the original Greek that Jesus used is the word ethnos. That is the same word where we get ethnic from. So ethnic defines ethnicity, it defines race, and it defines culture. So Jesus was saying over and above this wars and rumors of wars that is ravaging the world, we're going to start to see a real increase in racism, a real increase in ethnic and cultural wars. And we see that today so much racism is an absolute high in this last, well, in this century, racism has been absolutely prevalent and it is just reaching such a boiling point. There are so many wars between cultures and between religions. We have in the Islam where they've got the Shias and the, and the other part. Uh, anyways, but there is so much cultural and ethnic wars. Even in 1994, in 100 days in Rwanda, there was 800,000 Tutsis that was murdered by the Hutu tribe. That is just absolutely horrific. So we can clearly see how there is this ethnic wars. That was never in the time of Jesus, but in this last decade, in well, this last century, the 20th century, it is prevalent. Now we go to the next sign. Jesus says this. He says, kingdom will rise against kingdom. So he's got three different categories. Wars, as we know it. Ethnic uh, wars and now he says kingdom against kingdom so what is he saying that word kingdom is the word basilea which actually means a realm or a rule very much like a political party so what we see today is this great upheaval in the political parties i remember as a child that if I had to see anything on TV about a parliamentary meeting, it was as though it was a, almost a holy and a sacred event. That the political parties respected each other. Yes, there were differences, but they never profaned the, uh, the parliamentary meetings. There was always order, always respect, and they fought clean battles. Now, we look at the, the, what is happening in the parliamentary meetings 
all around the world and how these governing parties with their own ideologies are literally at war. They are so malicious and trying to take each other out, even murdering each other in countries like Russia. And we can see clearly of how this ideology, this Basilia, is warring against Basilia. Now we continue on verse 7. Jesus says this, listen to this. There shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. Now, that word famine means lemos. Interestingly enough, when I looked at that word, it, it doesn't talk about famines in uh, various countries. I always perceived that, you know, we'll see uh, Jesus and, and uh, people proclaiming to be Jesus and there will be these mass famines. But that word actually talks about lack and poverty through destitution. It doesn't say that there is going to be actual famines, but it refers to people who cannot access the resources, although the resources are there, through destitution, through poverty, and thereby experiencing their own famines. Did you know this? That 821 million people go to bed on an empty stomach every night. And one in three people of the world has a form of malnutrition. Wow. If that's not worldwide scarcity, then I don't know what is. But it gets even worse. Now, this was before the coronavirus outbreak. And a couple days ago, while researching the subject... I came across this article in the Fox News and it says this, that the coronavirus fallout will lead to the new great pandemic, which is global starvation. Let me read you a few inserts. Even before the outbreak, 2020 was on track for the worst humanitarian crisis since World War II. Due to ongoing wars, which was compounded by natural disasters like the locusts plague in Africa. That's something to look at as well. With the coronavirus, there is now cratering or failing economies. Mass job losses. Crashing oil prices. The World Food Program estimates now that 265 million people will be on the brink of starvation by the end of this year, plus 400 million children who used to depend on school uh, for their sustenance and food. So we can definitely see that this scarcity through destitution is becoming a worldwide problem in this uh, age. Now, the word pestilences, notably... That is a plural. That's not talking about one pestilence. This is talking about pestilences. And there will be pestilences of severe strength. Psalm 91, David writes this, talking about pestilence. He says, a thousand will fall at my side and ten thousand at my right, but it will not come near me. And as Christians, we need to strengthen our faith. In this time of testing, this COVID nonsense, 80% of the people don't even know that they've got symptoms. 
I'm more concerned about gastro than I am of this nonsense. If I've got gastro, I know about it. A hundred out of a hundred people will know if they got gastro. But family, as a child of God, this is not a time that you should be shrinking back from this. This is a time that you should be strengthening your faith muscle, knowing and believing that it will not come near you. What will you do if that moment comes and thousands start dying around you? So family, we need to be strengthened in this time in our faith. It's so important. Jesus mentioned increased earthquakes. Let's look at that word. That word earthquakes is the word seismos in the Greek. Does that word ring a bell? Of course it does. Because that's where we get the word seismic activity. What is seismic activity? Seismic activity is the measurement of earthquakes. And listen to this. The measurement of the vibration of the earth and the measurement of the vibration of the earth's crust. That's what that word means. So Jesus said there will be increased earthquakes, increased vibrations of the earth, increased vibrations of the earth's crust. Now, interestingly enough, there is a study on the vibration of the earth. That study is known as the Schumann Resonance. This Schumann Resonance is the vibration of the earth. Now, scientists have tested this vibration and they found that changes in this vibration has significant uh, implications on a person's health because we are calibrated in sync with these vibrations. Now, ever since uh, uh, this had been measured and this, this vibration had been, it had been a very stable vibration up until 2014, that was measured at 7.83 hertz. That was the standard vibration. Never fluctuated. It stayed at 7.83. Then in the year of 2017, that 7.8 jumped to 15 hertz. It doubled. If that wasn't bad enough, it went to 25 hertz. The earth that was vibrating at a standard pace had now doubled and even tripled at 25 hertz. Now, if you think that is shocking, what I'm about to tell you is going to blow you away. Because at this year, well, last year, in the 5th of December, 2019, that vibration of the earth, that seismos, that increased seismos shot up from 7 to 158 hertz. If that doesn't shock you, if that doesn't get your attention, then I don't know what will. That is an increase of 1,875% increase in seismos. Now, we experience... 2.3 million earthquakes every single year. That's right. 2.3 million earthquakes every single year. Now, most of these earthquakes are below 2.9 on the magnitude, on the Richter scale. But the fact is, there's been a 3,300% increase in earthquakes since the early 1900s. 
So we can clearly see that there is absolutely an increase in seismos, in famines, and in pestilences in this earth. Now Jesus continues in verse 9 to speak about worldwide persecution. Persecution of the church. Persecution of the faith. And how many would turn from the faith and how an increased wickedness will cause them to grow cold. And now we can see that today. We can see how what was once so respected and so revered, the Christian faith was the building blocks of constitutions, of governments, of countries, of schools. And it was proudly uh, a part of these building blocks. But in the last decade, this has all been starting to be corroded by people that are influenced by demons coming against a religion, coming against prayer, coming against the name of Jesus and slowly eroding and persecuting the faith and beginning to remove the, the, um, the, the, the faith from all of these places. And now even as a Christian, even as a Christian, if you stand up for what the Bible says, if you stand up for the truth, if you stand up for what Jesus says, people look at you and they think that you're crazy. People look at you and, and, they, and they persecute you and they, they call you, oh, you know, you're not with the times and you're old fashioned. There is a strong persecution on the church around us today. There's an organization called Outdoors USA. This is a foundation that monitors Christian persecution. According to them, listen to this, 245 million Christians experience what is termed as a high level of persecution. That is one in every nine Christians today. It says here 150 countries are documented to openly persecute Christianity. Five years ago, North Korea was the only country that scored in the category of extreme persecution of Christians. Only five, six years later, there is now 11 countries that are categorized as extreme persecution of Christians. Now, family, after all of this, after all of these signs that Jesus says is the birth pains, Jesus says this is all the birth pains, this is all indicating this is getting to that point, that climactic point. This is to his coming. And then he reveals the time when he comes. And that is in verse 14. It says this. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Now listen to this. I always thought, well, the whole world, you know, all the lost tribes need to be reached. Um, the whole world needs to be, all the missionaries need to go. But that's not what the scripture actually means. That um, whole world in the Greek is the word, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> oyu ko men I. This does not refer to the whole world. This does not refer to the lost civilizations. That word in the original Greek referred to the Roman Empire. So when they used that specific dialect, that specific word, they were talking specifically of the Roman Empire, of the civilized world. Now, that word preached is the word keruso, which means 
to preach and publish. So, if we look at this in the correct translation, what this scripture is saying, that when the gospel has been published and made available globally throughout the civilized world, then the end will come. And even now in this last decade, through cell phones, this last, last 10, 20 years, never before in all history, all of these signs, all of these events, now you can go anywhere in the civilized world, everyone has a cell phone. What is on that cell phone? Internet. The gospel has been published, it is made available, it is in everybody's hands around the whole world and people can share it, people can watch it, people can listen to it. And that sign has been fulfilled. So family, we can clearly see, we can clearly see, and we mustn't be like those scoffers, we can clearly see that we are in the last days. We are nearing the end of the age. And next uh, teaching, I'm going to show you and I'm going to teach you what it is that we have to do during this time. How we need to prepare ourselves. What has Jesus planned for us? Because we are not designed to fail in this time. But family, I want to repeat the words of Jesus. Be of good cheer, for he has overcome the world as a born again child of God with Christ in you. There is nothing to fear and we are always victorious. Family, thank you for listening. Love you guys. Trust that you are truly blessed and encouraged by this message. If you would like to find out more about Christ Encounter Ministries in Longabon, please feel free to check out our website at ChristEncounter.co.za.